The scripture reading is taken from Psalm chapter 19. You can find it in Old Testament, page 498 to 499. The heavens are telling the glory of God, and the firmament proclaims His handiwork. Day to day pours forth speech, and night to night declares knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words. The voice is not heard. Yes, the voice goes out through all the earth, and the words to the end of the world. In the heavens, he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like the bridegroom from his wedding canopy, and like a strong man runs his course with joy. His rising is from the end of the heavens, and his circuit to the end of them, and nothing is hidden from his heat. Let the words of my mouth. And the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, O Lord, my Rock and my Redeemer. This is the word of the Lord. Today, in case you missed it last week, we are continuing a sermon series, which will take us all the way to Easter, or pretty close to Easter. And the the series is going to be about what we believe, and it is based loosely on the Apostles' Creed. In other words. Uh, We are going to spend some time on God the Father and and, uh, God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. My uh, colleague in ministry, Sam Jurfee, is going to be joining me, and on those Sundays when he is uh, scheduled to preach, he will be be taking the next piece in this logical progression of ideas. Uh, Last week, we spent some time on the way uh, faith leads us to ask questions. In other words, how right and natural and appropriate, maybe even expected it is to ask questions about what we believe. Because the purpose of those questions, after all, is to lead us to a better understanding of God. And and you can always ask questions, and many people do, you can always ask questions to keep God at a distance. But when we're doing it right, I said, we get close to the heart of God. That's faith-seeking understanding, just to quote St. Augustine, the 4th century theologian from North Africa. Uh, This week, I think it's important for us to ask the question, how do we know? Uh, In other words, how do we come to an understanding of God? Where do we get our information? Is it the internet, uh, the source of all knowledge? Uh, Or is it something else? And uh, we can all hope that it's uh, something else. And so this week, we're going to be talking about what is known as general revelation, how God reveals himself to us in nature and history and and also in human life. And next week we'll talk together about uh, what is known as special revelation or the Bible. Uh, We are known, uh, after all, as people of the book, and uh, so next week we will talk together about the book. Uh, I want to repeat something I said last week, and I will probably do a fair amount of uh, repeating uh, as the weeks go by, because I think it's important to tie everything together, uh, I, I, last week I asked the question, isn't this series going to be dry and, and uh, a dry and intellectual exercise? Uh, something better suited to a seminary classroom, let's say, and, and instead of Sunday morning worship. And, and to answer that question, I quoted from Soren Kierkegaard, the 19th century Danish philosopher and theologian, Uh, who who once said that a believer is someone in love, which makes a great deal of sense to me. Uh, People who are in love, and and, and maybe you've observed this as well, people who are in love can be scary people. 
uh, people who are in love are, are, are moving toward the object of their love at the speed of light. And it's best not to get in their way. So this series will not be a dry and intellectual exercise for the simple reason that we are a people in love. Many of us have have built our lives on faith. Uh, I I would say that many of us have built our identities around uh, Christian faith. I I don't see how this could be uh, dry or intellectual at all. Uh, In in fact, if you find yourself having strong feelings uh, about any of this, I want you to know that uh, I share those feelings. We're we're talking about something today in the weeks to come that goes to the center or the core of who we are. Uh, Let's uh, turn now to Paul's letter to the Romans. Our second reading for today, uh, we'll be looking at the first chapter. Uh, Paul, as many of you know, maybe most of you know, does not know the Christians in Rome at this point. He has never met them because he has not yet been to Rome. And, and, and partly for that reason, he doesn't spend much time with pleasantries. Right? He, if you read the first chapter, it's clear that he moves very quickly to the, the purpose of this letter. And uh, what I want you to see is his argument here, namely, uh, that there are things we all know. There are things we all should know. Uh, Paul's argument seems to be that uh, y- you can know God's design or or intention just by looking around. It's so obvious, he says, that there are no excuses for missing it. All right, let's listen to the way he puts it. Uh, Let's listen to uh, God's word to us this morning, beginning with verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and wickedness of those who by their wickedness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. Ever since the creation of the world, His eternal power and divine nature, invisible though they are, have been understood and seen through the things He has made. So they are without excuse. For though they know God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking. And their senseless minds were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. And they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling a mortal human being or birds or four-footed animals or reptiles. This too is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Dear friends of Jesus Christ, let me ask you something, and I don't mean this to be an upsetting question, and if it is upsetting to you, I hope that feeling goes away quickly. The question is, how do you know? How do you know what you believe? How, I mean, what are you basing your beliefs on? If you were to ask me that question, I would say, that it was my mom and dad who first told me about God. And, and I believed long ago because they believed. Uh, it, it was clear to me, even as a young child, that their faith was uh, very important to them. So I grew up in a household where, where faith was accepted. And uh, where it was at the very center of everything we did. 
And then when I was five years old, I had a Sunday school teacher whom I will never forget. Her name was Alice Peterson. We didn't call her that, uh, but her name was Alice Peterson. I think I've mentioned her in sermons before. She was very old. She had white hair, and my guess was that she was in her mid-50s. And, uh, and, and Mrs. Peterson was the first person outside my family uh, to tell me about Jesus and about Jesus' love for me. And it was from her that I learned to sing, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And I didn't even know what the Bible was at that point. Right, but I began to sing about it, and, and to me it sounded wonderful that Jesus would love me. After Miss, Mrs. Peterson, I had a whole series of, uh, of Sunday school teachers who, who told me stories about Jesus and also stories from the Old Testament about uh, Abraham and Moses and David and Daniel and many more. So, my knowledge of God came first from other people, right? People I loved and, and uh, trusted, people who loved me and thought they were giving to me something precious. Uh, I think that's the way it is for many of us, even if we did not grow up in a, a Christian family. We, we hear about faith from other people, and they tell us what they have found to be true. Uh, Timothy Keller has called this the, the sociology of knowledge. We find ourselves with people who believe. Right? And in that way, we are introduced uh, to, to faith through them. But then, and I don't pretend to know exactly how this works, the, the precise mechanism, uh, faith begins to make sense to us or not. Right? We internalize it, we uh, put it together for ourselves, we figure it out, we think about it, and eventually we make it our own, or not. I mean, it's also possible that we would simply reject at some point in our lives what, what other people found to be important and uh, what other people tried very hard to, to pass along to us. But in either case... I mean, if you're taking notes today, maybe the first point to be made is that faith, more than anything, is a gift. Right? It's given to us. And, and we need to accept it, of course, and we need to make a decision to believe it, uh, of course, but it, it always begins as a gift. Uh, down through the centuries, theologians have said that, that uh, receiving this gift is never easy. Human beings are very nearly incapable uh, of receiving a gift as uh, precious as this. Uh, it is in our nature, I would say, to uh, resist it, if you can believe that, uh, although maybe we always resist what is best for us. Uh, even as children, there are certain things we don't want to do, and so often the first word we learn is, no! All right, my two-year-old granddaughter said, no, Papa! I don't even know what she was saying no to, but no, Papa. So theologians have described a, a specific kind of grace that goes to work in us. Uh, many years later, I came to learn the term for this. It's prevenient grace. Not necessary for you to remember that, but it's a grace that goes to work in us, and it, it, it cultivates within us a receptive spirit. And it, it makes us ready to receive this gift of faith. John Calvin was a name I learned very early in my life, uh, not on the same day that I learned the name of Jesus, but a few days later. And uh, uh, I even attended a college named uh, after him. John Calvin, way back in the 16th century in Geneva, wrote that all of us 
were born with what he called a sensus divinitatis, a, a sense of the divine or a, a seed of religion. And we human beings, he said, were born with the capacity to know God. And I, I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but I, I think that this is an extraordinary insight. Right? It's almost as though we human beings were wired up to have this conversation. Uh, scholars who, who, who study cave paintings in, in Western Europe or uh, archaeological sites in, in uh, the Near East say that very early in human development there was a, a, a surprisingly sophisticated knowledge or awareness of God. I right, think about that. Human beings from the beginning were capable of imagining God. And, and not in just a primitive way, but in a quite a sophisticated way. Uh, neuroscientists have done a fair amount of work in, in, in recent years on, uh, on the brain, and uh, at least some of them have been intrigued by this connection between the brain and, and faith. And maybe you've read studies about Carmelite nuns. Uh, they are generally, uh, there are apparently places in the prefrontal cortex, I assume that's where it is, uh, that, that light up when a person is in prayer. Right? And I should mention that, that Buddhist monks uh, demonstrate the same uh, capability as well as other religious people, and I don't know exactly where this re research is going to lead, but it seems clear to scientists that our brains have been wired for the spiritual life. Right? We were born, as, as Calvin said, with a capacity to know God. And, and to comprehend the existence of something greater than ourselves. And human beings have been demonstrating this capacity ever since the first human beings walked this planet. I think that's extraordinary. And, and you may not think of yourself as a, a deeply spiritual person, but, but however you think of yourself, there is within you a, a, a capacity to know God. You may do nothing to cultivate it, right? You may live your life as though it's not even there, but there is something inside you that you could, if you let it, uh, feel and experience what we like to call the presence of God. Here's something we don't talk about very much, but I, I, I think we should talk about it more than we do. Uh, Christians have maintained down through the centuries that it's possible to know something about God just by looking around. Right? Uh, in, in other words, not by meditation and, and not by looking inward, uh, but by looking at nature and, and at history and at human behavior. Uh, Christians ha have made the uh, surprising claim that, that we can know something about God and God's intentions for us just by being alert. Huh? And, and I wonder uh, what you think about that. Uh, most Christians I know are very pleased with themselves when they see a beautiful sunset and then uh, oh, make the connection to God's majesty. I, mean, I do that too. Beautiful sunsets or sunrises for that matter never cease to have that uh, uh, effect on me and I hope they never cease to, to have that effect on me. But, but Christians over the centuries, and I think you should know this, have gone way beyond beautiful sunsets. Uh, sunsets, I would say, are an entry-level experience in the Christian life. Uh, if you've seen a beautiful sunset and then, oh, that you were struck by the, the majesty of God, well, good for you. All right, but, but you could, and, and, and perhaps you should, go deeper than that. 
you have within you the capability of going deeper than that. Uh, Christians have said that uh, we can even know something about the character of God. You know, for example, by examining uh, creation. So a sunset is beautiful, but what about the molecular life under a, a microscope? You know, what about the deepest research uh, recesses of the universe that, that we can now see through uh, these enormous telescopes? Is, is it possible to know something uh, about God because of the discoveries that we are making every day in science? And at this point, of course, I want to say yes. Right? And I know many of you, too, would like to say yes. And it, it, it just seems so clear that God has this uh, uh, preference or, or bias for order. And, and, and for laws that govern the behavior of, uh, of objects and planets and stars and, and, and so on. Uh, John Calvin, just to mention him again, said at one point that if you look at the universe with the spectacles of, of faith, and you begin to see clues everywhere as to the nature and character of God. The, the, the world around us comes alive when we look at it through the eyes or the, the spectacles of faith. Uh, and this is why Paul, in, in, in that reading I, I read for you from uh, the first chapter of Romans, uh, and it's quite a well-known uh, reading, uh, it's why Paul says everyone is responsible for at least that much. Right? If you can't see it, he writes, you have no excuses. You're not paying attention. Right? And, and, and that may sound harsh. I don't think he intends to be. We should all be looking around and, and, and paying attention to the world around us in order to see what God is up to in the world. And then from this point, Paul lays out the rest of his argument for the Christian faith. But I, I, I want to pause here and say that there, there are always going to be limits to what we can know. And, and, and we, we can know some things, but, but not everything. Some of what we see is clear, but a, a great deal is going to remain hidden from us. In fact, sometimes we like to see truths in creation that God never intended. We think we see truths in history that must be of God, but then, oh, they turn out to have been our own wishful or deluded thinking. And I'm going to give you a couple of examples this morning. I'm ashamed of this first example, but I'm going to repeat it anyway, because it is a warning to every preacher who has ever lived. For decades, American preachers defended the practice of slavery and the African slave trade, not just with appeals to Scripture, which would be horrifying enough, uh, but with appeals to general revelation and, and how God intended uh, races to get along. Right? And so for decades, American uh, preachers defended the indefensible. Right? Christians, it's, it's true, also took the lead in the, the movement to abolish uh, slavery and the slave trade. People like uh, William Wilberforce deserved to be honored for their courage, but this sin has been a source of shame for Christians for a long, long time. And then in the 20th century, you know, German uh, Christians, not all of them, but, but certainly enough of them, gave their full support to a, a, a political ideology that uh, today we find shameful. Right? It's hard to believe that this ideology took root in the Christian church and, and won as many adherents as it did. 
But at the time, you see, we, we were all too quick to see God's intent where God's intent did not exist. Uh, Karl Barth, a, a, a Swiss theologian and one of the most important theologians of the last century, was so upset by what some Christians wanted to say on God's behalf that he, he, he famously said, Nine to all general revelation. This entire area of belief that we're talking about today. Only Christ, he said. Only the clear teaching of Scripture, but never again arguments from nature and history. Too dangerous. And maybe you agree with that. But it's enough to say that what I have called general revelation this morning is always going to be second to, right, and inferior to, uh, what God says to us in Scripture. And, and if you're looking through a microscope or a, a, a telescope, or even if you're looking at an especially beautiful sunset and, and you find yourself wanting to make some strong statements about God, maybe, maybe it's at that point that you should come back to Scripture right, to find out if your statements are in alignment with what we find there. So let me come back to the question I asked at, at the beginning. How, how do we know? You know, how, how can we be sure? And, and what I want to leave with you today is the confidence that you can know, right? And, and, and that you can trust what you have been told and, and that the foundation of your faith is strong. Uh, one summer... I went to see a movie with my younger daughter. I think it was a rainy day, uh, rainy Saturday in, in August. There wasn't much to do. So we went to see a movie called Contact. I would say, I'm not recommending this movie to you. It's not a great movie. I don't think it won any awards of any kind. Uh, but it was entertaining, and it, it starred uh, Jodie Foster and uh, Matthew McConaughey. I mean, how could it go wrong? And, and at one point, the, the, and, and this question was just beneath the surface throughout the entire movie, but uh, at one point, the, the Jodie Foster character, and she's the scientist in the movie, and therefore, uh, of course, the religious skeptic, uh, the, the Jodie Foster character says to the Matthew McConaughey character, who was the religious person in the movie, and of course, much more open to the things of God, the, the, the Jodie Foster character says this, so what's more likely, that an all-powerful, mysterious God created the universe and decided not to give any proof of his existence, or that he simply doesn't exist at all and that we created him so that we wouldn't feel so small and so alone? Well, I mean, I remember sitting there that day, that, 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 that rainy Saturday afternoon in this darkened theater and you can't believe how much I wanted to jump up and make a statement right there. You know, and I, I wanted to say that day what I believed to be true. And I think it was my younger daughter who was holding me down and, 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 and afraid that I might embarrass her by starting to shout like a crazy person in that theater. <laughs> so here's what I would have said that day if my daughter hadn't been holding me, holding me down. No proof of his existence. Really? How is it possible to look at the universe and not see his fingerprints everywhere? Right? When you look at the sun and the planets in their orbits, do you really see randomness? 
and chance and, and nothingness. A, a, a universe that came into existence for no reason, that exists for no purpose, and that has no meaning for us whatsoever. I look at the universe through my spectacles of faith. The, the, the faith that was given to me by my parents and by Mrs. Peterson and by a, a, a long line of other faithful Sunday school teachers to whom I am deeply indebted today. And I see God's fingerprints everywhere. I see meaning and purpose and I see a world that is indescribably beautiful. Uh, uh, so beautiful that I am uh, permitted... And encouraged each day to see it, notice it, uh, value it. And one that I can't wait to see anew every single morning. I am more grateful than I can say for the gift of faith that was uh, passed along to me by some loving people. And I am determined, I, I want you to know this too, I am determined to pass this gift along to my own children. And now to my own grandchildren and, and, and to all of you. Right? So that, that you can see what I have seen. And so that you can appreciate the, the, the wonder and the beauty and the mystery of what God has created around us. Will you pray with me? Let us pray. God, we thank you for the wonderful gift of faith. And we thank you for all of those wonderful people in our lives who thought it important to pass it along to us. And today we thank you that, that, that with that wonderful gift of faith, with the spectacles of faith, we are able to view your world with appreciation and wonder and awe. Now, we're, we're so grateful today for all we see about you just by being alert, just by looking around. And so our, that's our prayer today, to help us to see. Right? Open our eyes so that we may see what you have created for us. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.